Thank you. So I can just clear recording. I'll go back and just very briefly talk about the, the last uh, two slides. So just basically what I said was bring your uh, a clear list of your medications so that everyone knows the exact times you're taking the medications and then bring your own medications with you to make sure that you're actually getting the same version of your medication that you're prescribed, not a similar medication. Uh, here's just a list of um, some medications that are oftentimes given in the hospital um, that they really shouldn't be given to Parkinson's patients. Now, this is not an you know, absolute list, and there might be situations where these need to be used. So obviously, this should be used with discretion of your physician in the hospital and possibly your movement disorder neurologist. But these are common medications that, that staff might not realize are not the best for Parkinson's. So commonly, if you end up in a hospital, you might become a little agitated. And the instinct for most nurses and physicians in the hospital is to give you something to calm you down. And that can range from medications that are milder to medications that are more severe. So the medications that are really should be avoided at all costs for, for that are Haldol, Zyprexa, or Risperdal. These are all in the class of medications called antipsychotics. What this could do is if you get this medication is it could worsen your Parkinson's symptoms temporarily. It's not to say this is gonna be life-threatening, but you're gonna feel your Parkinson's medications uh, are less effective and your Parkinson's symptoms are gonna be much more severe during that time period. If they have to use something for agitation, I, I say that Seroquel or Quetiapine is by far the safest option. Some of you may already be on this medication, but if not, this is the safest medication for agitation and, and Parkinson's. Another common one that people actually don't realize is a lot of the anti-nausea medications are not good in Parkinson's disease. So particularly medications like Reglan, Compazine, Phenergan, these are very commonly used for nausea for various reasons. But what these medications do is they actually lower the dopamine, which is already low in your Parkinson's. If you have to use a medication for nausea in the hospital, Zofran or Tigan are the safest ones because they don't really affect dopamine levels. And then a third class of medications that, um, once again, most people don't realize kind of effect on you are the medications used for overactive bladder. So, and the reason that they're bad is because they actually affect a chemical called acetylcholine. What this can do if you take it is it can cause worsening confusion. Once again, it's not life-threatening, but there are safe alternatives. So if they try to give you medications like oxybutynin or Detrol or Vesicare, ask them to give you an alternative such as Merbetrix. And this actually list doesn't necessarily, it's not only for the hospital, this actually extends for out of the hospital too. So these medications in general should be avoided in Parkinson's disease. So what happens if you need to go for surgery? So a lot of people don't realize that there are several different types of sedation that you can have depending on the type of surgery that you need. And it ranges from the mildest to the most severe type of anesthesia. The mildest is really just a nerve block. And really what they do is they inject a numbing medication into some of the nerves that control a certain part of your body. This is really only useful for very specific types of surgeries, usually for hand surgeries or foot surgeries where they can numb up all the nerves in that area. Then they'll also give you something to kind of put you to sleep, but it's a milder version of it. 
but this is really specific to certain types of surgeries. Then you have the next level of sedation, which is kind of the sedation that you use. If anyone has ever had a colonoscopy done, it's what's called a twilight sedation. Um, and it's, it's, you're sedated, but not completely knocked out. You won't remember anything, but it's very quick and it releases very quickly. So these are medications like Versed or fentanyl that they still might cause a little bit of confusion after surgery, but it's a much safer alternative. And then the final one is general anesthesia. This is where you get completely knocked out. Um, they paralyze your body and you go to sleep. The problem with this type of anesthesia is that when you wake up, you might feel a little confused or agitated for a few hours, even for a few days. This is not life-threatening, but if you have the option for one of the lesser ones and the anesthesiologist says it's perfectly safe to do it, then I would recommend doing either the first or the second one if they think it's safe to do so. Obviously, some surgeries in particular, you need general anesthesia and you can't really do anything about it. So obviously in that case, you have to do it. But if they give you the option, then the lighter the sedation, the, the better ultimately be for you. And the other thing in regards to surgery and really specifically to general anesthesia is if you're on one of the medications such as Azelec, Selegiline, or Zodago, which are on the class of medications called MAOB inhibitors, this can actually interact with some of the general anesthetics that you might get during surgery. So if you know you're going for surgery, I tell patients to stop this medication about a week before the actual surgery, and you could start it up at about a few days after the surgery. If you Obviously, if it's an emergency, you don't know you're going for surgery, there's nothing you can do about it. But if it's an elective procedure and you're getting specifically general anesthesia, then you should try to stop these medications if at all possible. Another thing that I really stress to patients and really and the family members is to be persistent. In the end, you know, the nurses, the doctors, the staff there, they have hundreds of patients that they are you know, responsible for. So as, as much as they want to give your medications on time and want to understand Parkinson's, they just may not have the availability, the time, or the staffing to do so. And it's not anyone's fault in particular, but as a, as a patient, as a family, you have to advocate for yourself. It's okay to be annoying. It's okay to be intrusive. It's okay to ask to speak to the nurse and the physician multiple times if you're not getting what you, what you need to get done. And you, it's not to make anybody feel bad. It's not to, to make anyone seem like they're not doing their job well. It's because really they, they are you know, overwhelmed by a lot of other things and they might be missing small details that to them are not relevant, but to you is relevant. So if they're not giving their medications on time, you have to let them know. If the nurse is not doing it, you can escalate to the nurse manager or the floor manager. If that's not enough, you can, you can um, appeal to the patient advocacy services, which most hospitals have. Once you do that, typically they'll, they'll take you a little bit more seriously and more things will get done. It's not something that you ultimately wanna do. And trust me, as a, as a physician, I don't want a patient to you know, appeal to the patient advocacy group or anything like that, but sometimes it just has to be done. And ultimately, you know, you're responsible for yourself and as a family member, as a caregiver, you're responsible for your loved one. And that should be the most important thing above anyone's feelings. So, you know, it, it, it sucks to do it, but if you have to do it, escalate things, make sure that your care is being taken care of. And educate your staff. You know, they don't really understand Parkinson's that well. And, you know, especially the nurses that have, you know, sometimes they have, that, sometimes they have downtime. They, you know, they're in their room doing X, Y, and Z. 
you can just tell them about your Parkinson's. Let them understand what you're going through as a Parkinson's patient, because they may have not met anybody else with Parkinson's. They may have not really gotten any education on Parkinson's. They might have no clue on what it means to have Parkinson's and the importance of your care. So educate them. And if it doesn't help you, it'll help the next patient. They'll understand what, what Parkinson's is. Get exercise in the hospital. You know, even if you're in the hospital for, you know, for whatever reason, as long as it's safe to do so, make sure that you don't stay in bed the whole day. As, the, as a default in the hospital, they want to keep you in bed because that's the safest thing for them. They don't want you getting out of bed and falling and hurting yourself, which not that I want that either, but, you know, if you're there for a skin infection, you can still walk around. You just need to let the nurses know and make sure that you're safe to do so, but don't lay in bed the whole day. Get out as much as you can, as much as it's safe to do so. Let them know that you're doing so and maybe go with a caregiver in case you're taking drugs that might make you more sedated, but get up as much as possible. If you're in the hospital for something that's not necessarily related to your Parkinson's, you can still ask for a physical therapy consult. So they do some physical therapy with you. Now they might come in and say, you know, we just don't have enough time because it's not an emergency, but at least they'll come in and do some work with you. And maybe if they have some free time, they'll check in on you. But if you're in the hospital, especially for a prolonged period of time, make sure to get exercise and physical therapy if you can. Take advantage of all the resources that they have. They have speech therapists and occupational therapists and physiatrists. Use those services to your advantage. And stay on top of your care. You know, like I said, the nurses have a lot of patients to deal with and you know, they get orders from the doctors and the doctors try to go based on what medication list you provided them, but things might be dropped. As much as possible, look into what they're giving you. If they're giving you a pill, make sure you know what that pill is. Yes, you should definitely trust the hospital team, but they might not realize that the certain pill that you're getting, which is maybe prescribed by a consultant or somebody else, may interact with your medications, may not be totally safe to give with your medications. Just ask them, you know, say, is this safe to give with my other medications? Has the pharmacist reviewed this? Does my physician know that I'm getting this? And if it's any of these medications that were on the previous list, take a step back and say, listen, this might not be the safest medication for my Parkinson's. Can the physician review this and maybe offer something else? Sometimes there isn't anything else, but you should be aware of every medication that goes in your body because you might be metabolizing it different than somebody who doesn't have Parkinson's. The other important thing is, you know, a lot of medications that you might get in the hospital, which may be pain medications or antibiotics, might worsen constipation. And because you're likely not exercising as much and may be restricted from fluids because you're going for surgery, you might be more constipated. So, and it, that might not be a big issue for the nursing staff because that's not what you're there for, but you as a Parkinson's patient probably understands the importance of constipation with your medications and with your overall health. And so sometimes I see patients going in for a skin infection or something else, um, and then the antibiotics cause worsening constipation and that was never treated and they went five days out of bowel movement and then it takes a few weeks to kind of get back to normal bowel habits. So while you're in the hospital, if you can drink plenty of water, ask for bowel medications, you know, get up and walk around, ask for a nutrition consult. If you're still not having bowel movements because of your medications, what they can offer, you know, you can ask for a gastroenterology consult to help with constipation. So make sure that's not ignored when you're in the hospital, even if that's not what you're primarily there for. Another, uh, I won't say common, but a possible thing, and this is not necessarily specific to Parkinson's, um, but really any kind of neurological condition, you're at higher risk of confusion in the hospital, just in general. You know, anytime your brain 
you know, it starts out with a baseline that's not perfect, it's at higher risk of confusion. This particularly is more likely to happen if you go through surgery, if you have an infection, if you have anesthesia, if you get pain meds. Now this is not permanent, but it's something that you may experience. And especially for the caregivers on here, it may happen in the hospital, but it will pass. It's not dangerous. And typically we don't have to use any medication for it. And this kind of goes back to the initial list of medications that I showed that you know, there are medications for agitation, for example. And after surgery, you might be a little agitated. The, the kind of the knee-jerk reflex from nursing staff typically is to just give you a medication for confusion. And you know, most orders, if you look at a hospital and for, you know, for example, if you go for surgery, the surgeon will put in a certain order set. That order set is for the nurse to know what to do if X, Y, and Z happens. Under that order set, it might say, if agitation, give X, Y, and Z. That is a very generic order set. And if a nurse notices that you're agitated, it just might be a reflex to give a medication. Typically, the agitation will pass and you're better off not getting any medications rather than getting even the better version of the medication. And so you just have to remind the, the nurse that, you know, I'm a little confused, I'm still with it. Or if your family is there and say, you know, it's okay, this, this will pass, we don't need medication. If it persists, then Seroquel is by far the safest medication that you can use for agitation or confusion in the hospital. There is another medication that's called Nuplazid uh, that's actually FDA approved for hallucinations. The problem is it takes several weeks to really kick in. So if, you know, if you're in a rehab center for several months after an orthopedic surgery, that might be a decent option. But if you're there for a couple of days, starting Nuplazid is gonna do nothing for you. A lot of times the hospital doesn't realize that and they'll start that medication, but it's not gonna do anything for you in the hospital. It really takes at least a few weeks to really kick in. So typically Seroquel is the best bet and really kind of fixing any underlying problem, whether that's an infection, whether that's constipation, pain, those can all lead to confusion, hallucinations, or delirium in the hospital. The other important thing, and you know, this kind of goes back to, you know, and some patients get frustrated about this, that you know, I felt like my doctor kicked me out of the hospital. Really the hospital is the worst place for you as a patient. And as a Parkinson's patient, that's even more important. In a hospital, you're more likely to get confused and more likely to pick up an infection. The sooner you can get out of the hospital, the better. I see a lot of patients say, you know, I just want to stay a couple of days just to make sure uh, everything is okay. If you're safe to be discharged, get out of there as soon as possible. More bad things will happen in the hospital than out of the hospital. So as, as much as possible, if you're safe to be discharged, get out there. Don't, don't stay longer just because you feel like it, you might feel better afterwards, because that's how you can run into problems. Another kind of thing is really to, to be prepared because you don't know when you're going to be hospitalized. You really don't. It could be tomorrow. It can be in a year. The more you do now to be prepared, the better. And so that goes back to having a medication list, having, you know, a pill bottle with some of your medications just to have that ready. Um, but that also kind of extends to knowing your surroundings, knowing which hospitals you may go to. Some hospitals are better than others. Some hospitals have a neurology service. Some don't. Some have movement disorder neurologists on staff, some don't. And so knowing specifically where your movement disorder neurologist is affiliated with, knowing what kind of local hospitals you may go to and what their staffing is like, is very important ahead of time so that you're not stuck last second trying to figure out what hospital should I go to, where am I gonna get the best service? So if you do all that ahead of time and figure out kind of locally what's in your radius, then you can figure out where the best hospitals are to go to if you need to go. 
Obviously, in the case of an emergency, you're going to go to where the closest hospital is. But a lot of times, hospitals are fairly equidistant. So if you're going, if you're going to Stanford Hospital versus Greenwich Hospital versus St. Vincent's Hospital, they have different services. And it's important to do a little bit of research ahead of time and to figure out what's going to be the safest option for you, depending on what your actual need is. So in getting to know you know, the local hospitals is, is really very important. And a lot of this can be found online. If you go to your local hospital website, you can look up if they have neurologists on staff. You can see if they have movement disorder neurologists on staff. What a lot of people don't know is that a lot of local hospitals don't have neurologists on staff. They have neurologists they consult with that might be there for a certain time periods. Other times they may have to call neurologists, but they may not have any dedicated neurologists on staff 24 seven. They may have a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, but not a physician there. And they certainly might not have a movement disorder neurologist on staff. And you know, if your hospital is not familiar with neurological conditions, then it makes your life a lot, lot more difficult. And so this, this goes back to kind of talking to your movement disorder neurologist to say, which hospital is he affiliated with? Now they may not necessarily be able to go into the hospital directly, but at least I know for our hospitals and for us for in this area, uh, St. Vincent's in Bridgeport is our affiliate hospital. Um, we're working on other centers, but that's for now the only Hartford owned facility. When a patient of mine gets admitted to that hospital, I get an alert right away. I get an alert saying that you're admitted, what you're admitted for. And I can then communicate with the team there to let them know what I want done, if anything. We actually have a patient advocate who also reach out to you or your family when you're admitted and when you're discharged to see how things went. And I know that the neurologists in the hospital there frequently message me about my patients to say, you know, so-and-so is here, anything I need to look out for, and they ask me questions. So I know that you're actually getting the quality care, whether it's through myself directly or at least through one of the neurologists that I know is competent. This doesn't really work for other hospital systems, unfortunately. I don't have any direct communication with Stanford Hospital, Greenwich Hospital, and it's a lot harder to kind of communicate outside your, your hospital network. Once again, you know, if it's an emergency, go to your local hospital. Don't, don't try to go to a different hospital. But if you can predict it, then go in a hospital where your neurologist is affiliated with is going to give you the best outcomes. And like I said, you can actually reach out to some of your hospitals beforehand and say, you know, what kind of services do you have available? What are the patient advocate numbers? You know, what do, who do I contact if I do get admitted and I'm not getting the care that I need? If you have these numbers down before you go, then it will make life a lot easier for you and your family if you do end up in a hospital. And you can actually get involved. So the uh, American Parkinson's uh, Disease Association, um, you can be set up as a, a patient care um, ambassador. And really what that means is they train you so that you can go to local hospitals and train them on the importance of all these things that we discussed for Parkinson's disease. And so that makes them more aware of these conditions. That if you do end up there, that you're not the first patient that really brought up these issues that I mentioned. Um, and, you know, you can go through a very, I think it's a limited program uh, through the APDA. Um, but if you become an ambassador, then you're basically a trained volunteer and they train you on what to do and what to talk about. And then they help you set up meetings with some of the local hospitals so that you can go there and discuss exactly what you would need as a Parkinson's patient. And they're, they're going to be receptive of this because, you know, they want to help you. You know, no hospital's goal is to make you feel bad. They just might, have, might not have the knowledge or resources to do, to do the best job, 
but ultimately they want to help you. They're a hospital. And so the more that, that they can be trained ahead of time, the better ultimately for your care and for other patients as well. You can also get a medical alert card. And you know, this would be a very helpful thing. And you know, this link, you can click on it and you can print out. It just basically goes through your diagnosis, your medications. And you know, this is probably one of the more important things because a lot of times, and I don't really work in a hospital nowadays as much, but when I used to work in a hospital, a lot of patients would show up and they didn't really know their medication. And that's a huge problem because then it takes several days to figure out what you're actually taking at the proper times. You know, maybe you're confused. Maybe you had some other issue going on. You can't really explain your medications. Maybe your family doesn't live nearby. You need to have a very clear medication list, a list, a very clear list of, you know, when you're diagnosed of what type of disease you have. If it's Parkinson's or a different version of Parkinson's, that should be made clear. So having a medical alert card will just make it easier for a staff to kind of identify any potential problems you may have. So that's all I had as far as formal information. I know there's a lot of information. I just want to leave um, you know, enough time for, for questions um, about this. So you know, anybody who has any questions, comments, I'm going to um, briefly stop sharing. Um, and let me see what you guys have as far as questions, if, if any at all. Dr. Main, a lot of yeah. dentists have sedation dentistry now. If we're getting dental procedures, are we, should we be concerned about what kind of sedation they're using? No, not typically because um, dentists are going to use very light sedation. Um, you might still be a little bit more confused after the procedure because it's still sedation, but it's not going to be general anesthesia. It's usually very, very light sedation, um, more so just so you don't remember the procedure, don't feel pain. Um, but really the, the anesthesia that's more kind of concerning is the one where you're, you have a tube down your throat to help you breathe, where you have to have an anesthesiologist monitor your blood pressure. That doesn't really happen in dental procedures. Thank you. Thank you. So the Parkinson's Foundation has um, the center of excellence. So they basically, as a foundation, they go into certain hospitals and, and um, qualify them. Have you heard of that too, Dr. Maiden? Um, um, I, ha I have. I didn't know they go into hospitals specifically. Um, yeah. I'm sure they do. I just don't know exactly. You know, typically it, it goes through the neurology department. So I know as, as a movement neurologist, I, I oftentimes um, kind of work with the hospitals um, on kind of our process for very specific things. So, for example, for, for patients with uh, Duopa, uh, which is an infused levodopa pump, which I, you know, it's not used as commonly anymore, but that requires a very specific <laughs> nursing program. So we have to actually go into the hospital and say, this is what we need for our patients who have Duopa. This is how to use it. This is how to contact us. This is the representative. So the, the um, APDA might do some of that, but they don't do the specific guidelines for each hospital. That really comes from the neurology department and kind of our workflow on the back end to say, you know, if they were admitted, what needs to be done from your end. So I, I don't know to what extent they, what they do and what they don't do, but a lot of it really comes down to the movement disorder department itself, having a very close affiliation with that hospital to know exactly what to do with various situations. Well, I have a friend that was in upstate Connecticut. He took a bad fall and he was hospitalized and things went terribly wrong. And it really messed him up very, you know, yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, and so I, I spoke to you about that and, you know, I just, this is great information to have that, 
you know, can help many of us. So is it the, is it partially the medications that we take or is it the Parkinson's disease, the, the confusion and the delirium? What, what, why does that occur? I mean, it's what- probably a combination of both. Um, I think it's more so the uh, Parkinson's itself. Okay. And it's not, it's, this is not alone to Parkinson's, really any kind of neurological condition that affects the brain, you know, whether it's multiple sclerosis or Alzheimer's or ALS or Parkinson's, you know, your brain has a little bit less reserve to deal with, you know, significant stressors on the body. Okay. It's the same reason why, you know, if you've had Parkinson's for a long time and you get a urinary tract infection, even a minor one, you might be confused for days. Right. And this doesn't mean that your Parkinson's is getting worse. It's that, you know, think about all your resources now are going towards fixing the urinary tract infection and less focus on your Parkinson's symptoms. Right. And you're just, you're also more at risk of medication side effects from the medication you might get in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you go in the hospital, you may get pain meds. Pain meds are very common to cause confusion in everyone, right. especially those with neurological conditions. Mm-hmm. Antibiotics can cause confusion. Infections can cause confusion. So a lot of it stems you know, from what you're getting in the hospital, in addition to the fact that you have an underlying condition that makes it a little bit more likely for you to get these side effects. But you can be, you know, 50 year old and not have any neurological condition and still get confused from pain meds in the hospital. Yeah. But you're more likely to get that, you know, with a neuro- neurological condition like Parkinson's specifically. Is there, is there um, pain medications that should be avoided also? I, I- I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough issue and some of the things are really unavoidable and that's, you know, and if I, I didn't mention that, but really some of it is as much as we can control, we can control some things we can't because pain can cause confusion and the pain meds can cause confusion. Uh-huh. At the same time, I don't want you in pain. So we, you know, we kind of have to balance the level of pain with the level of medication you get. Um, typically the non-opiate medications are safer. So opiates are things like Vicodin and Percocet um, and fentanyl and morphine. Those are more likely to cause confusion and hallucinations. At the same time, if you break your leg, you know, you're going to need morphine. So it really depends on your level of pain. And, you know, sometimes it's a reflex reaction. The nurse says, are you in pain? You say, yes, she gives morphine. Do you really need that morphine though? Is your pain enough that you need an opiate? If you do, then absolutely take it. If not, Tylenol, Advil, even things like Tramadol are a little bit safer. But it's just, like I said, at the same time, if you have pain, you're gonna need pain meds. But it's the least amount that you can get away with would be the most ideal. Thank you. Thank you. I have a few questions here. Uh, I'm just gonna go through them real quick and then if anybody else has any questions. Um, so the first question is from Dory. Um, please address getting to sleep in a hospital. And I, I thought I included a slide, but I might have skipped over it. Um, but for those who have been hospitalized, and I can attest this as, as a physician, you know, the, the, in a hospital, the hour structure is just very different, especially for the night. There's no such thing as nighttime in the hospital. You know, the, the night nurses typically work night shift. And as a, for those of you who are nurses, you kind of attest to this. You know, you go on, on weeks of working nights and that is your daytime. That's not a nighttime for you. So, you know, it, it would be routine that I would get, you know, a page at one o'clock in the morning from a nurse saying the patient's constipated, should I give him medication? And my response is it's one o'clock in the morning. You don't need to worry about his constipation. But from a nursing standpoint, that's their shift. So that's what they're required to do. So really what I, what I tell patients and, you know, I, I tell this to staff as well is 
if, if it's not necessary, then tell the nurse to try not to wake up in the middle of the night. You know, if, if you're supposed to get your blood drawn, ask them to get your blood drawn in the morning, not at three o'clock in the morning. The routine is that the phlebotomist comes around at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning because they need their med, they need their blood draw for the next day. So when the physician comes in at five o'clock in the morning, they have the blood available. However, that's just not ideal for Parkinson's patients. And if you if it's not necessary to get blood drawn at three o'clock, ask them to do it at seven o'clock when you wake up. Now, you know, for those of you who are nurses, that's a lot easier said than done. But if it's possible, just tell them, please don't disturb me in the middle of the night. I don't need pain meds at two o'clock in the morning unless I'm actually in pain. I don't need constipation meds at two o'clock in the morning. I don't need my blood pressure checked at two o'clock in the morning. Now, sometimes it is absolutely necessary. But uh, like I said, a lot of this are reflex orders that just go into the order set that the surgeon will say, check blood pressure every four hours. That might be necessary for the first day after surgery, but not the rest of the days. And that order might still be there. You don't realize it. They wake you up to check your blood pressure. So as much as possible, ask them to only do what's necessary and to refrain from knocking on your door at you know, midnight. And what people also don't realize is you know, the hospital is full of physicians, but also a lot of students. And students might be asked to go see a patient at midnight for X, Y, and Z reason. That's not necessary. You know, it's, yes, it's a teaching hospital, a lot of cases, but if that student can come in the next morning, then tell them. So I usually tell patients to put a sign on the door saying, you know, if this is not an emergency, please don't wake me up. I have Parkinson's, I need my sleep. Tell that to the nurse as well. You know, please, if, if I don't need my blood pressure checked, please wait till the next morning. Don't wake me up for anything unnecessary because that, that is a big problem because you will be woken up and then you're gonna be even more confused and it's not necessary. So hopefully that helps as far as the sleep aspect of it. Any question on, on the sleep? No, okay. Um, next question is from Marsha. If one of your patients is admitted to a hospital you're not associated with, do you have the ability to consult with the staff there? So yes and no, it becomes a lot more difficult because really what that requires is you kind of have to ask your medical team to call our office, which, you know, as a physician that works in a hospital, it's easier said than done. You know, uh, as an outpatient, I have very specific hours. As an inpatient, you have very different hours. So it's a lot harder to communicate. They will sometimes try to reach out to us. A lot of times they might do so after hours when we're not in. Um, or sometimes they'll leave a message and then we call back. We can't get a hold of them. You also might have different doctors every day. And so one doctor calls and then you call back and it's a different doctor on staff. So it's possible. It's just a lot more difficult. Certainly, if there are very specific questions they need to be asked, then you have to ensure that they do reach out to us. A lot of the questions can really be answered by a very clear medication list. Because a lot, most of the confusion comes in when they say, oh, what, what medication is your patient on? And if you had a medication list, that would solve the problem. There's not really much I can do as a physician in the outpatient setting for you as a patient in the hospital, except for basically what I already told you in this, in, you know, in this PowerPoint. You know, you're in the hospital for a reason and they have to make sure that they're really focusing on your emergent issues. And the Parkinson's does kind of fall as a secondary issue, which is okay. You know, if you're there for a broken leg, that should be taken care of before your Parkinson's. These other things, you know, it really comes down to everyone as a team, you know, explaining to them what it entails and how to make your stay there much better. But as much as possible, if, you know, if they have very specific questions, then 
they certainly should reach out to us. If they need our records, then we can send them our records so at least they know what's going on. But the more you do ahead of time, the less likely you are to get the problems while you're in the hospital. Uh, next question is from Allison. With so many different specialists for various ailments, some at Norwalk Hospital, Stanford, Greenwich, and they have different platforms, communication can present uh, issues, and that's absolutely true. Um, one of the things that is getting better is a lot of hospital systems are now using the same medical record system called EPIC. What EPIC allows us to do is I can actually see any records, mostly from the outpatient setting, but some inpatient as well, from any hospital system that is EPIC affiliated. So if one of my patients is admitted to Yale, for example, I can see most of the notes there. I can see most of the notes from the physicians at Yale Hospital and vice versa. It doesn't work with uh, Greenwich. It doesn't work with Stanford as of yet, but I think that's gonna be changing soon. Um, so that's one way of kind of letting different services, different hospitals kind of work together. It, you know, it is another reason to try to keep your, all your issues as much as possible in the same network so that the physicians can communicate to make it easier. Obviously that's not always possible, but if you can work with affiliated hospitals, that just will make your life a lot easier. But it is a, a you know a big a big issue in the area, especially here when there's you know six different hospitals and they all have different affiliations. So you know it, as much as possible, the more you do ahead of time, you know the more information you have to provide to your specialist in the hospital, the easier it'll make their job and the better care you will have. Um, the next question is from Kathy. Um, after surgery in the hospital and then going to a convalescent hospital for rehab, we were told that patients are not allowed to bring in your own meds. Turned out they didn't have two of the Parkinson's meds that were needed because we had them. Gray area about medication and convalescent uh, care facilities rules about meds. That might depend on each facility specifically. Um, as far as I'm aware of, you're entitled to bring in your own medication. So unless that's very specific to your facility that you go to, um, then it, it's really, you're allowed to bring your medication, especially if they don't have the medication that you take. Because a lot of times they just don't realize the difference. They don't realize that, you know, your Cinemet is not the same as Ritari and that there are different forms of amantadine. And so if they don't have the exact medication that you take, then they're really required to allow you to use it or try to obtain it some way. And if they can't, they really need a good reason why not. Because it's not like you bring in the meds and you take them by yourself. They're still dispensed by the pharmacist. So they, they look at the medication, they make sure it's actually what you're supposed to be taking, and they'll still dispense it at appropriate times. You should really never take your own medications by yourself. You just give the medication to the nurse, who gives them to the pharmacist, they will then review it, and then they'll dispense it as if it's you know the same medication they have, they just happen to not have it. That's another you know reason to kind of work with your movement disorder neurologist because you know for most of our hospitals they have our medications on staff on formulary because we made it a point that they have to have them on, on formulary, otherwise there's issues. You know it's it's not always the case, but they really should have all of our medications available, um, and if not, they should allow you to to, to use it. Um, let's see. Next is from Allison. Um, if you're diagnosed with a new rare disease, how do you find out if suggested treatments conflict with PD meds? Um, 
So I mean, that's a more complicated question. That really is, you know, you should kind of discuss your medications with your movement neurologist to make sure there's no real conflict. Um, and same thing, if you get admitted to the hospital, make sure you speak to the neurologist there and the pharmacist there to make sure there's no interaction with your Parkinson's medication. That's all the questions I see in the chat feature. Uh, does anyone else have any other questions or comments? Comment. Yeah. I've been hospitalized a few times in the past few years. And I found that I couldn't get my medication on time. It just didn't happen. Stanford. So yeah. I had my pills and the fleece in my pocket. And I took what I needed when I needed it. And one night, a nurse said, what is the squeeze doing in your bed? You don't need it. I said, yes, it keeps me warm when I get cold. She shook it. She said, you're hiding pills. You shouldn't do that. But of course I shouldn't. But yeah. That's me. But we try to make it very clear that she needed the pills. This is in Stanford Hospital, which I think is a very good hospital, by the way. But yeah. They just don't understand, as you said. They don't get it. And they get busy. So I understand. Yeah. I have, I got, we have a son that's a nurse also, so I know. And you can try, you can speak up, and I did it nicely. It still didn't happen. A lot of times they missed it. It took a half hour or 45 minutes later. Uh, maybe it's an education. I don't know what it is, but I, I kind of understand because they're busy. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult because it, they, they do have a lot of patients to, to worry about. And, you know, ultimately, you know, they, you know, depending on the hospital, depending on the ratio, they may be taking care of 12 different patients. So it, it may not always be feasible to get your medications always on time. You know, as much as possible, they should try. But in the end of the day, it, it's a hospital and they're there for emergencies. And that's what they care about the most. But, you know, Escalate it as much as possible. It may or may not happen, but you know, the more you speak up, the more likely it is to happen. There's no way to force them to deal with it, unfortunately, because it really does come down to staff availability. And if you know, if the nurse is dealing with an emergency, she's not able to get your medication. And you know, realistically, that the the resource should be focused on the emergencies. You know, but as much as possible, if you communicate the the necessity and you let them know and you escalate to the nurse manager. Um, the floor manager, the nurse, the patient advocate, they will try as much as possible to get it done. But, you know, we, we have to understand there are limitations and being in a hospital setting, things are much crazier than the outpatient setting. It is much more difficult to get things on time. So, you know, if they're half an hour late, we might just have to kind of deal with it. Um, but if they're hours late every time, then that really needs to be adjusted. I would stay away from taking your own meds because that can get you in a lot of trouble in the hospital. Um, so, um, and it, it could, cause they, they don't know what you're taking. They might think you're taking, you know, drugs or pain meds or, or something else. And you don't want that to be labeled in your chart as, as someone who's not kind of complying. Um, so, you know, you're better off just telling the nurse, like, Hey, these are my Parkinson's meds. Can I please take this? And they can maybe take it to the pharmacy, verify it and bring it back. And they can maybe take it. So it's, but it really does come down to a kind of education, having your movement disorder neurologist work closely with them to make sure they really understand the importance because if it comes from a patient, they might think, oh, that's not really relevant. But if it comes from their movement just, you know, team, then they might say, yes, this is absolutely relevant. Can I ask you one follow-up question? Um, most, of your, most of your patients are helping some around here. And I would guess that most of them use Stanford Hospital or Greenwich Hospital. How, how difficult would it be for you to be associated in some way with, with those hospitals? 
Well, what about uh, so it would be impossible to be associated with them because I'm hired under Harvard Healthcare, um, and those are different hospital systems. So I, there's no way for me to be associated with them. Um, I can certainly they can certainly reach out to me. Um, it's just not always you know likely for them to do that. Um, but there's really there's no way for for me to be affiliated with any other hospital outside of the Harvard network. Um, and that really goes for any, uh, any of your physicians. They're going to be affiliated only with their employee hospital system. I didn't know the process. That's why I was just curious. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more complex. I mean, we are, you know, at least what I was told, they are, you know, in talks of trying to, you know, figure out better ways of, of getting our patients assistance in Stanford Hospital. Um, but because it's a private hospital, it's, it's a lot more difficult and it comes more down to politics than anything else, honestly. But Stanford Hospital does have a movement disorder neurologist. Um, so you can always ask for a movement disorder neurologist consult. Um, and the movement disorder neurologist at Stanford is Sarah Buckingham, who's very good. So I, you know, I don't know if she really does inpatient work. I don't know if they were to call her with issues. Um, I don't know what their process is specifically. Um, but I know that they have a movement disorder neurologist on staff. Um, I think that Dr. Rusk works for Greenwich Hospital. So they have um, at least heard that that does movement disorders there. I just don't know what their specific process is um, for like a movement disorder question. One of the very important things, we used to have a doctor was Roy Ockley, who's, who's leaving. Um, we'll, yeah. probably, we'll probably go, go with you, but, um, but, the, but the point is, if I needed something from Dr. Ockley, if Gail was in a hospital, if I wrote him a note and say, this is what he, he wasn't associated. He's with Columbia, obviously. But if I wrote him a note, he would get back within a half hour to me. I find that incredibly important. And maybe it's three times a year you need to do that, but I don't know how, what you think about that. I know you're busy and most doctors are, and so is he, but somehow he found a way of getting back to his patient quickly, not in two or three days. Is that yeah, something yeah. possible that you could do? Yeah, so I know, I think most of my patients attest that that's, that's what we do. He got that. I mean, I, there's a there's a member of Shakers Anonymous that's not doing very well, and I sent Dr. Mate an email last night, and he got back to me right away. So, you know what? He he's he's on it. So yeah, as long you. as people don't abuse it, you know, we had a we had a had to write him a note on Saturday night, and he came back at 10:30. I wrote him a note at 10:15, and I don't, would never do that unless it was an emergency. I know. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a difficult thing because some doctors are very busy. They yeah, and emails. You know, we have, um, you know, so, uh, you know, I, and I think I, I don't know if they use the same system uh, at Columbia, um, but, or they probably have some version of my chart. Um, and that's made things a lot easier. Uh, back in the day, it would, you know, the patient would call, then we'd get the message and we'd kind of return the call and kind of play phone tags. Through my chart, you message me, I can see it as I'm seeing patients. So I get an alert that says, you know, so-and-so messaged you. And it all takes a few seconds to either reply and say, you know, I'll get back to you at the end of the day, or, you know, even I can send it to my nurse who can then call you, get more information. So it makes it a lot easier if you have some kind of messaging system like that. Um, we also have an after hour service. So at, at, you know, 24 hours a day, we have a movement disorder neurologist on call. So if I'm not available, if, you know, if I didn't get information, you can always call our main number and you're not going to get a general physician. You're going to get a movement disorder neurologist. So if you're hospitalized at eight o'clock at night and you have a specific question, um, you can call the hotline. 
so it, it shouldn't take two to three days to get back to you. Um, I try to get back to everything, you know, within a few hours, same day if possible. Obviously, you know, if I'm very busy, it might not be possible, but, you know, my, the nurse checks all my messages too. So if it's an emergency, she'll give you a call back right away. That's good to know. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Now, I, I had asked Dr. Alcalay about what having a local physician so that if I ended up in the hospital in Stanford, I'd, someone could take care of me. And he said that and when he'd had one of us, I don't know who, as a patient, ended up in the hospital, he just um, talked to Dr. Buckingham. So they were, he was communicating with Dr. Buckingham during the yeah. whole time. So the patient was getting what they needed. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know her specific role in the hospital um, as far as what she does and doesn't do. I don't know if she covers inpatient. Um, I don't know um, kind of her requirements. Um, certainly if a patient's in, in Stanford Hospital and there's a question, um, if, you know, if you let us know, we can reach out to them. I just don't know what Dr. Buckingham is or is not comfortable doing. Um, but certainly if there are issues, then you know, I, I know her personally, we can reach out and, and get a hold of her. Um, I just don't know the exact steps of that hospital. I had, you know, I had um, one of my patients who was hospitalized there and the, they didn't, it was over the weekend and they had a neurologist there who's actually a friend of mine who saw the patient. He just messaged me directly and say, you know, what do I do about this? But I don't know if I, if he didn't know me, what their instinct is to do because no one reached, no one told me that my patient in the hospital. So part of it is, you know, we have to be aware that, that you're in the hospital. Um, and if it's within our system, I get an alert. If it's in Stanford or Greenwich, nobody tells me. Um, and so if nobody reaches out to me and I don't know, and nobody even asks for a movement consult, then Sarah will never be made aware. So part of it is just you know, being made aware that, you know, you're in the hospital, you know, and it, if it's if you have a specific question, it's one thing. If you just want us to know, that's a different thing. You know, the, a, a lot of it will depend on what the specific situation is going to be. Sometimes it's, it's easier for us to kind of communicate with family and let them know. You know, if they tell us this is what's going on, and we say, you know, look out for this, this, and this, or have them give us a call. That's usually the easiest way of kind of communicating with the hospital staff then, because then you have the patient's family in the hospital that can directly talk to the nurse or doctor and say here's my movement disorder neurologist number. Can you give them a call? Um, but it really depends on what the specific situation is. But there's always ways of working around it. We just have to kind of be aware of what's actually going on. Should the patient or caregiver let you know that, some, that they're, you're in the hospital just to let you know if it's not your hospital? Yes, yes. Ideally, yes. You know, even if it's not related to Parkinson's, you know, whatever it is, you can just let us know, hey, we're in the hospital you know, everything is fine, but just want you to let you know. Um, that way we can always request records from the hospital um, and at least know what's going on. Um, and that way, if you have any questions, it's not like a shock to our, our system. Um, and that way, you know, if we need to communicate, if we need to send them records, if they have questions about your symptoms, we can send them our records. So it just makes communication easier. So I always like to be aware whether it's anything I need to do about it or not. At least I know that it's, you know, happening. So in, in Hartford, I get an alert that says, you know, your patient was admitted on the state and that at least I know that they're there. And even if there's no question for me, then at least I can see what's happening in the hospital. And so if I see them a month later, I'm not shocked that they had you know, a broken leg or a car accident or something else like that. 
and you can't be the political situation is they there's no way for you to have privileges of, at any of the other hospitals that are not hard for you. No, yeah, unfortunately not. What else do you guys have? Uh, we, I got a lot of good information. I don't know about everybody else, but yes, I have a, I have a whole page of notes. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. And I saw a lot of you taking notes. This is really very informative. I didn't know a lot about this, so you know, um, I was Sharon. Did you want to ask a question? Uh, yes, I'd like to know is that is it possible to get a copy of your PowerPoint? I'm the facilitator for the Western Connecticut Parkinson Support Group out of Newtown, Connecticut. And I would, I would love to have, I tried taking pictures while you yeah, were- Yeah, I'll can. i send it out to Lynn and she can afford it to- Yeah, if you could put so, your email address in there so I can make sure okay. I can you, Sharon. I'm okay, so thank you're you. here tonight, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I just heard good. about your group, thank you. Yeah. And thank you, doctor. And Sharon, you're, um, you're in Newtown, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I'm just trying great. to figure out my kinetic anatomy because we have um, a few different providers starting in Western Connecticut. Because um, I know we're going to be, we're going to open up an office in Wilton. Um, and then we open up an office in Torrington as well. Wow. Okay. That's good to so know. I don't know if those are close to you uh, I... or any of the patients in your support group. We'll we, uh, we service mostly Danbury, Bethel, Newtown, um, New Milford, that part of the, the state, Reading. Oh, that's okay. How did you hear about our group? Um, I was sent an email from uh, Vicki Ann Manville. Yes, wonderful. Okay. Wonderful. okay. That's great. It's good. Well, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier too that to some of not all of you were on that the Parkinson's Foundation, I'll, I'll, Paul and I will put a link together on the website and an, an email has a hospital kit that you can get for free through their website. And mm -hmm. it's something that you can just put aside and put your medication list. And it has like a lot of what Dr. Maiton spoke about tonight in the kit. So that might be helpful for um, those of you who are not aware of it, getting that, so. And it has little tear off pages, a whole pad of pages to hand the nurse or anyone who- That's great. Comes near you. <laughs> yeah, make, make everyone aware. No, don't, don't be shy about it. That's great. That's the word, we're more aware now, a lot more aware. So I just real quick question, you know, you think that the pharmacies in the hospital don't really have a red flag with some of these medications that are given to people with Parkinson's or? No, no. not at all. Is no. that right? They, they red flag only medication election um, because these aren't absolute contraindications. I got um, it. So, and you know, most pharmacists have no idea what Parkinson's is. So they don't really understand, you know, what these medications are doing. Um, so they, the red flags for pharmacy are really kind of dangerous interactions that might cause like significant, you know, mortality. Right. Um, but they don't, you know, these medications are not going to cause death, but they're going to cause a lot of discomfort in various right. ways. 
<clears throat> so there's there's no real contra, and it's not it's not an absolute contraindication. Other patients with Parkinson's who are so agitated they need some Haldol because that's the only thing that's going to calm them down. Right. And, but at the same time, without that Haldol, they might jump out of bed. So you know it, it has to be weighed based on what what's going on. And if you know if you need morphine, you need morphine. So it's it's not to say those medications should never be used. It's just a lot of physicians don't necessarily understand that these aren't the best options, and there are safer alternatives. Um, that can be used. Very interesting. Thank this, you. This is a kit you're talking about. It has this whole sheet on medicines that are safe and not safe that you give to the nurses. They understand and, and the medication forms. So it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a good I idea. Yeah, but I have it filled out. Yeah. And give you all kinds Hope, of Hopefully stuff. you'll never have to use it, but exactly. it's good to have right. to be prepared just in case. I got mine 10 years ago and I just found it the other day, tucked in the back of my closet. So it's like, you know, putting it somewhere where you can. If anybody had the um, DBS, it has that. It has a lot of stuff in it. So it's definitely worth, I mean, it's yeah. great. It's great. And if you if you have DBS, I mean, the, the representatives for the DBS companies are amazing. Um, so if you're ever hospitalized and you need an MRI or something, you know, use them as a resource. They're, they're very, very good. Um, and then we, what you can do for some of those papers, you know, especially nowadays that everyone has a smartphone, just take a picture and save it on your phone. That way it's always there. Yeah. So if you don't have the physical copy, at least you have a picture of it that you can maybe have a family member print out. So that way you don't have to worry about physically carrying it with you everywhere you go. Right. Thank you. I keep mine in my wallet. Yeah. I mean, they, that's, and that's on your iPhone, you can put, they have a medical record part on their phone that you can enter yeah. too. Put yeah, it it's a good the vaccine phone. card. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, next to the vaccine card. Yes. Yeah. And a clear medication list really should be, you know, in your wallet at all times because it's, you know, it's it's difficult to remember sometimes the specific times you take it and which medication, what it's called. And so the last thing you want to do is get to the emergency room and they don't know what you're taking and they just not give you Cinemet because they didn't know. You know, they, they can't know. Um, and so you're going to be going hours without medication simply because they didn't know that that's what you take. So, the, you know, for those, if you have time, do it today, create that list, take a picture of it, put in your wallet so that, you know, if you ever end up in a hospital, hopefully none of you ever will, but if you do, you know, you're prepared. So Dr. Maiden, your wedding is coming up soon. Oh, yeah. Dr. Maiden's getting married in September? Yeah, September 18th. That's oh, coming up pretty quickly. We're excited for it. Yeah, very exciting. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and spending and going over this with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, yes, anytime. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. I'll send the PowerPoint to you, Lynn, um, right, and you can you. feel free to, to share it. Okay, that'd be All right. awesome. Okay. Everyone have a yeah. good night. Thank you. Congratulations. You too. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. 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 Safe to assume the program's going to start beginning of October? No, guess what? It's going to start sooner. It's going to start oh, really? possibly another couple of weeks. Before the so, open house? Yeah, Brenda, Brenda Waldron. I think Brenda's on tonight. Brenda, and she has it. She's off the screen, but.
Brenda has been working in the Westport Western Y. So, you know, I think we're going to have a class in another week or two. So, which will be really good. So, you'll be the first to know. So, I went, I was there today. Yeah. And, um, so they're 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 putting everything together. So I think it's going to be a lot sooner, which will be so within a couple of weeks, you think? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, fingers crossed. Beautiful. Well, I know if you're doing it, it'll be well done. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. They're going to have Rocksteady Boxing there too, Lynn? They're going to have um, Rocksteady Boxing. It's going to be actually not officially Rocksteady Boxing because I want the Y to become an affiliate, but Brenda is a Rocksteady Boxing instructor that will be doing boxing there. Okay. So it'll be a version of that. But, you know, that, so the, some of the classes I want I wrote down that they're thinking about doing is um, boxing and body conditioning. So we're doing a little bit of a, a version of it. So it's going to be, we're, we're even going to thinking about doing a Parkinson's boot camp. You know, right. so a Parkinson's boot camp, a yoga. Um, so we're, we're, we're even thinking about doing like a um, aqua exercise in a pool. So all sorts of things. Um, so I'm very Sounds excited. Good. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I and was I on the Y website today and they have a whole thing with, with, you know, things for Parkinson's and uh, links to Shakers Anonymous and a lot of the things you have for information. It's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so it's going to be real exciting. And, and Fairfield YMCA is interested in talking to us. And it, I mean, it's, it's starting to really take off. So it's Beautiful. very exciting. Yeah. So it's good. You are so fabulous. Yes. Yes. I love doing this. I absolutely love doing this. I, I get so much pleasure out of it. So I, you know, I, I just, it's wonderful. Yeah. Help us all so much. Right. It's just no way to measure it. Well, you know, there's a lot of instructors that are very interested in, in teaching people with PD. So it's really going to be fabulous. And, and every Y may not look exactly the same. You know, it may be certain classes that are at one Y and not the other. So, it, you know, we're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really nice. And we're going to have different support groups. And um, in different areas. So maybe not the same night, but maybe if you want to go to Shakers Anonymous third Tuesday of a month, but maybe you go to the Westport Weston like on a Thursday, first Thursday of the month. So it will kind of be, it'll be, it'll be wonderful. It's going to be really nice. Is there a virtual component to, yes. to this? Yes. Yes. So it's, well, I call it a hybrid version. So it'll be a lot of these meetings will be and exercise classes will be both live and via zoom. Oh, great. Great. Um, yeah. So, you know, so if you feel, don't feel comfortable going into a gym at this point, you know, there'll be as an opportunity to do it via zoom. Mm -hmm. uh, well, oh, I know what I wanted to tell you guys um, Wednesday. No, no, I'm sorry. I keep saying Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday at the Greenwich YMCA, Heather Flattery, the boxing, the, the very popular boxing instructor is coming to teach a at Thursdays at 12 o'clock at the Greenwich YMCA. If you're free, come or, or, you know, log on via Zoom. It's going to be a great class. And she's, you know, she had a huge following. I mean, I think there was like 20, 30 of us that used to go to her classes. So she's going to start back up on um, Thursdays at 12 o'clock. And do you need some any special equipment at home if you do it virtually? You can do it virtually too. But do you need special equipment at all? Oh, you know, you know um, hand weights, you know, um, you know, you know, you, you don't really need a boxing bag per se. You could just, you know, you can do hand weights, even water bottles, you know, just, you know, you can do that and then just, 
you know, air box. Um, and then, you know, so you can easily participate with the class without a boxing bag. Okay. Uh, Sorry, I just wanted to tell Lynn, I just signed up. The, the sign up for Thursday just opened up at eight o'clock. Okay, perfect. And there are only nine spots left. Nine spots left. Well, I better do it. I better sign up. <laughs> I'm not all of you to do it. But, you know, so hurry up and sign up. Yeah, that's the other thing. To make it more safe for um, all of us, we're limiting the size of the classes. I mean, of course, we're not limiting those that want to do it Zoom, but, you know, just so that, I mean, at one point at the Greenwich YMCA, we had four or five people per boxing bag, and that just didn't make sense. The Westport, the Westport Weston Y only has two boxing bags, but there's a lot you can do with boxing with focus mitts, so um, that, that'll be fine. But the Greenwich Y has put in a number of boxing bags with a track system, so I think they have like 12 to 15 boxing bags. Wow. Now, will each place have their own distinct set of instructors or are people going to jump around the instructors? Some people are going to Francesca is going to be teaching at both facilities, but we're, there's a woman, I don't know, some of you remember Noreen, who at the Greenwich Y, she's going to start teaching yoga there too. And um, so there's, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a little bit of overlap, but a lot of new instructors. Good. And, and I'm working on like a, a way to make it affordable for everybody to participate in the classes. And right now, you know, we're unlimited classes, any classes, including PD, regular classes, whatever you want to do is $49 a month. Where is it? That's in Greenwich, right? Yes, it's different, right? different at Westport. Westport, Weston, we're still working on that. It's still, we're still negotiating that. I'm bring, trying to bring the price, you know. So I'm hoping to make it similar to with all yeah, the Because so. I, was, I was at Westport a week ago with Brenda, and they were still talking about just getting a full membership to the Y itself. I, I'm working on that. So uh, it's under negotiations. <laughs> I'm a tough What is that? Well, Billy, what is a full membership? If you're 65 and over, it's $61 a month. If you're I'll get under, that down. I'll under get 65, down. which I am, it's 85. I'll get that down. I'm, you know what I do is I'll have Elaine Grant from the Greenwich Y talk to them over there. So um, I know what to do. I, I got a strategy. Um, if I'm going to get a car, I'm bringing you with me. <laughs> it's also cheaper per person if you join as a couple. Yeah. And and if you know you want to join and you go on a tour, if you join when you've been on the tour that day, then you don't pay the joining fee. Also, um, you, At Westport. I also wanted to tell you that United Healthcare, Medicare Advantage program, they pay for the membership. They pay 60 days free membership. So if you have United Healthcare, uh, Medicare um, um, Advantage plan, that's a significant thing. Is that for all wise or just Greenwich? Right now, just Greenwich, but I'm going to have the I'm going to have the Westport Western wise sign up for the same program. So we'll wait till you work them over. I, I know. I, I'm on it. I'm all over it. You know, and I've got Bridget over at New Caden Y that I'm on, I'm starting over there too. So it's it's you know we're we're going to have a dynamite programs. It's going to be really. She goes, to the, she goes to the body first and looks for the knockout punch. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, I don't get my feathers ruffled. I just like keep moving forward and just saying, let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about getting the pricing down, you know? So Greenwich is doing this, so you should be doing this. So, 
That's where you get the big money. That smile. Yeah. That's why she's getting the big money. Well, you know what? Speaking of big money, I mean, the, Elaine Grant, who's the head of development, and she writes grants. I think it's so great that her last name is Grant. And she writes, um, she's, she's so excited because there's so many community grants that want to give money to this program. And so she, the light bulb's gone on in her head. She's all over this, you know, so it's very oh, so She could do the Davis Finney thing too. Well, I, you know, but that, but that money will go through the Y. So I'd like to kind of get a girl. So Marsha and I have been talking that if you know of anybody that would be interested in helping us with grant writing or applicate, filling out applications, we could use somebody like that. Cause there's, um, you know, now that Parkinson's body and mind is a 501c3, we can apply for grants. And it, it, we, we don't really need a lot of money. We just, some money to become Rocksteady affiliates and training the instructors and you know, money like that. And then also scholarships for people who um, have financial issues so that everybody can participate. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's very exciting. We do already have money without even asking for money. <laughs> um, so we have a, you know, we have some money set aside already. So it's very, it's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. It's all very exciting. But I'm real excited about the PD boot camp. I think that would be really yeah. Cool. Sounds great. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. is the mindfulness class going to continue, or I'm working on that. So, um, uh, I've been. I talked to spoke to Erica last week, and she is um, very interested. I mean, Marsha, I can't thank you enough for putting us in contact with her. I also wrote to her last night after we talked. Um, I said, if you have. Uh, dates and times before the meeting tonight at seven, please let me know, but I didn't hear back from her yet. Yes, I'll let you know when we hear. Something like once a week with her somehow like ongoing and it could just become like something that we do together. I mean, maybe it could be something that after, after our meetings, you know, or something for a half hour or something like that. But um, I found it to be extraordinarily helpful. So, and she That's is very saying. passionate about helping us. So we'll, we're working on that. Yeah. Can I make two announcements? Yes. One is next week, we have Mandy Shintani coming. She's going to talk about improving your balance and walking ability and confidence with uh, walking poles. So I think that'll be really interesting. And um, we're not a lot of us here, so I'll announce this another time. But do you, uh, who's signed up to be a, pay, uh, <clears throat> a PD Avenger? Okay, not everybody. And <laughs> So the goal, here's the deal. PD Avengers is a patient-led global alliance of people with Parkinson's and our partners and our friends demanding change in how the disease is seen and treated. They don't, have, they don't raise any money. They don't do anything. They just add urgency to research, wellness, and advocacy by uniting people all over the world. Their most pressing objective at the moment is to get 1 million Avengers by the end of 2022, there are only 3,500 right now. So just, if everybody can sign up, www.pdavengers.com, there's a get involved button. And you know, there's no, you don't have to do anything else, but give them your name and that'll add to the numbers and that's more political clout. 
Should we both do it? The, the yes. gift and the caregiver. And, and your mailman and anybody you know, your, your grandson. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing group. It actually was formed as a result of ending Parkinson's disease book. Um, you know, that it, it was a groundswell that it happened from as a result of that book coming out. Um, it's, you know, Larry sp has spoken on um, Shakers Anonymous and he, I, I thought he was fabulous. I mean, it's a wonderful group. It really is. It's, 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 you know, raising awareness about the need of finding better treatment and possibly a cure for Parkinson's. Well, wasn't one of his goals initially to raise more, get more money for research? Yes. That was a primary thing? Yes. Yes. There, there, was the, there was a pittance what they have to, for research. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, compared to Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's gets a lot more dollars for research. Oh, AIDS had like $3 billion and Parkinson's has like $200 million or something. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, so this, this type of organization is going to help to raise awareness for people with PD. It's, it's, it's a great organization. It's international also. Like 35 countries or 55 countries, very interesting. You could see stuff on the website. They have interesting video clips. And but anyway, sign up. Get everyone you know to sign up because we're not so visible. And you know, Dr. Mayton was talking about how the nurses and a lot of doctors in the hospital don't know about Parkinson's. We need to make sure people know. So yeah. a lot of money went to AIDS. A lot of money went to uh, whatever this virus is we had in 2020. <laughs> We need money for Parkinson's. Yeah, yeah. Now those things were, there was action on them because of the groundswell. And we're a quiet group. We need to be a little less quiet. We can yeah. do it nicely, but we should gather together and do it. Yes. So thank you. That's my speech. Thank you, Marsha. It was, it was beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Anybody else have any announcement? Look at that beautiful baby. Aww. Yeah, you're waving at us. Brenda, she's so big and so cute. She's so cute. Get her a watermelon, you want to eat her all up. I know. She's throwing a hook. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, I'm going to go make dinner. All, all right, right, everybody. It's good to see everybody. Thank you, Masha, Masha, Masha. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Be safe and stay sane. Bye.